This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. A great hand reached out of the dark and grasped mine for a moment, mightily and tenderly. I said to myself, the veil between, though very dark, is very thin. Hello, and welcome to The Thin Place, the Film Geek Radio podcast devoted to discussions of religion, faith, and spirituality in film. This is episode number 36 for July 2013. Your hosts are Ken Morefield, even though I'm sitting in a different chair, and how would you know that? That's still me. And Todd Troffin. That's me who is also sitting in a different chair. I am also in a different chair. Our topic for this episode is White House Down, the 2013 Roland Emmerich blockbuster about, well, the White House. Being down. Being down. This is not a spoiler-free discussion. I really don't know how one could spoil White House Down with would it be a spoiler if I said, well, it's not a spoiler-free discussion, so... Uh, well, we could talk about Olympus Has Fallen. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, if you don't want to know whether or not Channing Tatum saves the White House at the end of White House Down, or if he dies halfway through the movie, then uh, turn this off really quick and go listen to some other podcast and then... Uh, come back after you watch the end of the movie and are shocked, shocked to find that things happen. While nuclear holocaust seems imminent, it is in fact narrowly averted. Alright, Todd. Um, why are we talking about this film and how can we integrate it into a thin place perspective? Well, that's a good question. That's a fair question. One of the things that, when we talked about this podcast way back when, and before we started it, it was this idea of looking at film through a certain lens. And, you know, spirituality, religion, faith. And I, I remember us having a conversation about, we didn't want to entirely focus only on the obvious spiritual films. And in fact, this idea that if we are approaching art of any kind or media of any kind as Christian thinkers, that we should be able to think about anything through that lens. And so one of the reasons we're talking about White House Down is, well, it's out this week. And it's going to be big. And why not you know, apply this lens of looking at film to a popular movie um, that is going to be seen by quite, quite a few people? Right. That, that's a good answer. I mean, I think when I say, or you say if you're reading the intro script, religion, faith, and spirituality in film, we don't mean just in this particular film in terms of right. content. But film is a major art form through which many Christians interact. Uh, millions of Christians will be seeing this film. Mm-hmm. And we want to think a little bit about how film as a genre uh, affects us, 
uh, our belief system, our uh, our values, right. uh, and the way that we arrive at them, uh, perhaps sometimes in in a very unconscious manner. And so I've heard it say that the hardest stereotypes or presuppositions to challenge are the ones that you never question because you just assume, well, that's normal. That's the way things always are. And so uh, I think there is a certain value in just looking at an average movie or a typical movie, whatever that means, and, and talking about issues uh, pertaining to that. Um, having said that, I think there might be one or two minor faith elements uh, that are worth talking about within the content of the film. But um, I guess fair warning if uh, any of our listeners are still on episode 37 or 36 and haven't figured out yet that uh, uh, we don't just count swear words or ask would Jesus go see this movie, that um, fair warning that sometimes the discussion may seem to wander a little bit from the more overtly religious topics, but we're always seeking to bring whatever point that we're turning over or examining back to that in kind of a modeling way. Yeah, and and I also think, I mean, one of my ways of looking at not just film, but pretty much all storytelling is somewhat informed by kind of a archetypal sort of approach, I would, I guess is one way you can put it. Um, but the, these films, like White House Down, do follow, I mean, we call them a genre picture or an right. action picture, and they tend to follow certain patterns. Um, and there are certain rules to different genres. We can think of like a sci-fi movie has certain rules. Um, Westerns have certain rules that every Western is going to have these kind of patterns to and those patterns are called, pay attention students, conventions. Conventions. Conventions of the genre from whence we get the word conventional. conventional. White House Down is a very conventional movie. It is. Or the word unconventional, which is, that's unexpected. I haven't seen that before. That's a little bit different. And I think because White House Down is such a conventional action type movie, it gives us a way to kind of really focus in on what what is the movie portraying? What is what are the values that these conventions are either challenging or upholding? Well, and it gives us an opportunity. I'm glad you said that to not just have um, to provide a rubric for thinking about the genre that may be helpful for some Christians newer to film so that they don't come away from the podcast saying, wow, Todd and Ken said a lot of cool things about this movie, but hmm, Todd and Ken asked some interesting questions about this movie that I could ask about just about any movie, right. and turns out I'm just as smart as they are, and I don't <laughs> need them to walk me through every movie, but to give me some tools for walking through movies myself. And that would be a, a hope that, okay. we, that we can make ourselves irrelevant. Okay, so what what would be some questions you would ask about the genre of action film? And maybe we could try that out. Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit, or 
in, in an academic fashion, I am going to pull on a resource. Um, Bill that Nichols sounds so much better than cheating. It does, doesn't it? Uh, Bill Nichols uh, has written a book called Engaging Cinema, an Introduction to Film Studies. Uh, and this was published in 2010 by Norton. There's my bibliographic entry. Yes. Um, no plagiarism for you. No. And um, Nichols has a, a great chapter on genre, and he looks at not just genres in terms of Western sci-fi, gangster films, that sort of thing, but kind of a meta-analysis of things that are going on. And he's, you know, as you know, rubrics tend to be, he provides a nice little chart. But one of the things that kind of intrigued me is, I mean, and, and White House Down fits it right in. This particular type of film, you would say, would be about social order and the law of the state, as opposed to more domestically oriented, although the domestic realm does is important in certain aspects of the film. This is a film that takes place in the public sphere. In, in America, you can't get much more public than the Capitol building and the White House. These are the, the symbols of our democracy. The hero in these kinds of films tends to be a male loner or, at most, some buddies on a quest. Now, by these kind of films, have you said it's genre, point, films, yeah. and ge genre general, films in general, or are we talking about just the act that yeah, the, the action, action film. The action film. Okay. Or, I mean, I think what Nichols is calling here are films about the social order. Okay. And in this case, certainly, we, we have our, our male protagonist, Channing Tatum, and um, the he is a loner. Um, the first part of the film is establishing the fact that he is not with his with his, his ex wife. Or were they married? Or I'm not sure if they were separated or actually divorced. He, right. It talks about him going off to Afghanistan and. and uh, being separated, but I, I was unclear from my notes whether unmarried, unmarried, separated, or divorced, but certainly not cohabitating. Yes. So, you know, his, his daughter and wife are, you know, he is not part of their life. Um, in fact, part of the setup is that he's trying to get back into his daughter's life. And yeah, although I'm going to go out on a limb here and say separated uh, or divorced simply because. Uh, he does a lot of flirtation with one of the with the woman who gets him the interview, mm -hmm. uh, not the Maggie Gyllenhaal character, the other woman. And I think certainly one of the conventions of the hero is that he be good. And so if he, you know, if he in fact were married and just separated, right? Um, then I think it would be a moral knock against him that he was making himself sexually available right. to other people. Yeah, you know, other people. I agree with that. Um, yeah. Although, that goes back to there's an interesting sort of dynamic in the genre picture of, of the loner of, um, I think, American action films go back to epic, mm -hmm. and so they tend to be more conservative, at least in their values, right. if not in their, their politics. And so there's this weird double standard going on in American films where we want the male hero to be sexually available so that men can fantasize being him and getting all sorts of attention. And yet we also want him to be monogamous or faithful. Mm -hmm. And so 
there's usually some way in which uh, the wife is oftentimes killed in, in a particular way so that it, it can be not his fault that he is available. Or at least if they're separated, it, it's very important from the genre convention that she initiated the separation. Mm-hmm. And he can say, well, I was a jerk. I was suffering from PTSD or something like that. But it's very clear. I didn't want the separation. I want to be a part of my daughter's life. You know, uh, I, I am, I am representative of all of these values, even while I am free to uh, flirt and make eyes at right. every woman who, who comes around. Well, in terms of being one of the stars, like he's able to be, to represent that value even when he's not good at it. Right. Um, and, and that gives us a place for character development. Right. Um, through the, through the, the story. Um, you know, once we get things set up, there's obviously always a conflict. Wouldn't have much of a story if there was no conflict. Um, don't care what kind of story we're talking about. Yeah, I think I saw that on a TNT commercial once. I think so. And in these kinds of films that are dealing with the social order and, and law, there are things that tend to be conflicts about social values or cultural ideas. Law, order, justice, authority, power. What counts as labor? Uh, what counts as... This controlled violence, sacrifice. That's a word that comes up a lot in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the White House Down, you know, we, the ostensible conflict starts with the president is putting forth a peace plan for the Middle East um, and pulling troops out of the Middle East, just kind of unilaterally removing all American troops um, from the entire Middle East. So the president has a peace plan, the bad guys want to stop the peace plan, there's our conflict. And to this point in kind of this rubric... That's a spoiler, by the way, but we gave a spoiler <laughs> warning, because <laughs> you know, certainly the film expects you to be surprised two hours into it as to, oh, wow, these people are taking over the White House because they're mad about the peace plan. I, you know, Like you were spending the whole first two hours going to... I, I wonder what made a bunch of Americans wake up on the same week that the president passed his peace plan and said, I think I'll attack the White House right. today. Maybe they're just upset about higher taxes. Up to this point in the rubric, we're basically talking about setup, um, how you know, the, the basic bones of the film and just kind of what's happening. Um, Nichols' last two kind of things to think about in this rubric um, have more to do then with how the story um, ends and then what values or themes are uh, going on in there. And usually with this type of film, the resolution end, ends up being that the social order is reestablished, um, evil is eliminated, you know, our you know, chaos is removed. Looking at Ken, who is wearing a t shirt that says chaos, what chaos? Um, and you know, basically affirms, you know, certain ideals, sacrifice, um, community, wisdom, uh, those sorts of things. And certainly in White House Down, um, and yes, the spoiler alert that Ken gave you at the beginning is now going to come into full force. Um, you know, the president is reestablished. The, the, the hierarchy of American democracy is reestablished. And held in place, um, and, and 
you could argue that America's place in the world is reestablished. We are the superpower. We are the you know the inspirers of peace and freedom. And then Nichols makes an interesting claim here in terms of themes. Um, he writes, uh, charismatic heroes redeem or secure the public sphere. We can probably discuss whether or not Channing Tatum's Kale figure is charismatic or not, but he certainly is the protagonist and he does secure the public sphere. Male independence and pursuit of self-interest secure cultural ideals. And... You know, one of the things I think is very interesting is that in the midst of all of this global, you know, the White House being down and being reestablished, um, it also seems to be very important to the film that Kale, is, his position as father and even kind of male head of that family unit um, gets reestablished as well. Yeah. Uh, and you know, because of his bravery, because of all these things. His daughter, of course, now is you know, looking at him with, I don't want to say worship, but it, it's definitely that sort of you know, respect and honor he didn't have before. And even the ex-wife, separated wife, whatever, is looking at him and treating him in a very different way. Um, you know, whereas before he was a screw-up, now he can take their daughter anywhere. And you know, even though by taking his daughter to the White House, you know, he got her almost killed, but in the end, it all worked out. Well, I think the sort of order that was restored for me in the film, I, I wrote down the term American exceptionalism. Okay. Uh, that I think the, the value that is, is reinforced is that is it's less about reinforcing the notion that America is a superpower, but that America should be the superpower mm -hmm. because it is right, because certain people um, deserve positions of privilege because they are exceptional, and they have proved that they are exceptional by doing things that other people could not do. Um, I think that it's interesting that Kale is the hero of this film rather than the president mm -hmm. because the president has used the political process nationally or internationally, although he's largely failed mm -hmm. nationally to use the political process to get his agenda by. And if, if it hadn't been for this exceptional hero, uh, the president would have failed. He Correct. would have been taken over. Um, there is similarly a, a, a scene in which early on in which Kale interviews for a job in the Secret Service, and he recognizes that his resume is somewhat spotty. Right. And he's like, well, just give me a chance. And while it's not said, it's it kind of inferred. The Secret Service, that's a job that you earn, you know? You know he's just, like, well, I'll start at the bottom and work my way up, but even just, you know, at the bottom of the Secret Service is... Yeah. is is a job that you, you know, is a job that you earn that you don't necessarily take a chance on, that there's a long process of mm -hmm. proving yourself worthy of that job and going through there. And I think that a big part of, of action films, going back to uh, as far back as I can remember, but, it, but I, I remember writing a paper about this in the 1980s when Frank Miller's The Dark Knight came on, that there's, there's a kind of 
apocalyptic apocalyptic adolescent fantasy that we can destroy the social structure uh, that is holding the exceptional individual back and that if there is in fact this chaos or anarchy then it's not going to be the tyrants that rise above it's going to be the exceptional people that rise above and are going to be finally have an opportunity to be recognized for the exceptional people that they are. And so I think it's important that Kale is recognized as a hero to his daughter. But I think it's more important that the president sort of says, I don't go anywhere without my security detail, you know, job interview process. Who cares what job interview process you've, Proving, proving yourself, yourself yeah. and, and, and therefore, and I think that sort of American exceptionalism or that notion that exceptionalism is more important than any kind of rule of law or process or international law gets writ large on the international scale. It's, it's appropriate that America be the only world superpower because we're full of, ex, you know, not because our democracy is better or has better checks and balances against the flawed and sinful nature that abides in all of us in every country, but because America is filled with a higher percentage of these exceptional people who, when their way of life is challenged, are able to succeed and conquer, not because of anything intrinsic in the way of life or the way that they interact with that. And I think, you know, it's funny. There's a, a scene in the film is is coming to mind in a maybe this is not exactly in line with what you're thinking, but I, I think it does. Is there's a key moment where there are there's an airstrike that has been called onto the White House, and the pilots are kind of at, at each step of the way as they get closer and closer to the White House, they are kind of calling in to reaffirm. You know, do is this a go? Mm-hmm. Are we really going to launch missiles on the White House? Which is a fair question. Um, if I'm the pilot, and it and at the last minute, not really. I, well, I mean, it yeah. goes it goes to that whole realism versus fantasy right. thing because I mean, everything I know about the military has been, you know, they're mission centric or whatnot, and and. Um, Officers, the people who would be in those jets would understand the context, and so once they once they get the go, they're gone. I, yeah. you know, I've got a mission, and that's I compartmentalize, yeah. and that's the way I go. And, Which makes it all the more interesting that when we get to that, you know, the the crucial moment, you know, the lead pilot basically says, "I'm not doing this." Right. Um, he sees things happening on the ground that, to him, you know, and he's the exception. Every other officer in the army better be following orders. Right. But, well, I'm the one with eyes on the ground, and I see something that doesn't. I see a little girl waving a flag on the flight, you know, on the White House. On the White House, and so I'm, I am the exceptional person who's going to question orders. And I think we like to say that. I mean, you know, one of those, you know, you want to be the kind of soldier who just blindly follows orders, and therein lies all sorts of badness, uh, or are we the thoughtful military that questions orders? Yeah, but, you know, the deck is stacked in favor of that pilot. Absolutely. Because we already know 
that the nuclear crisis has been averted, or but they don't. They don't. So, so within the context of that movie, that decision makes no sense from from a from a logical structure. Yeah. Um, exactly. It, it, it is like the, the pilot ends up being just so happens to be lucky that the person who gave the order uh, was a traitor and that somehow or another his moral spider sense was tingling that uh, told him that this is wrong. Uh, but everything within the context from a military perspective about that order would say, um, yes, if I don't fire this button, then, you know, one nuclear missile has already been launched from the White House. And we're all going to die. Right. You, you know, and for the pilot to say, no, I'm not doing that. I, I took less as an example of exceptionalism. Uh, part of how I interpreted that scene was that our country is so politically polarized right now that our mass entertainments do this wonderful job of trying to play to both sides. Yes. And if you're going to make the villain of the film, the quote, military industrial complex, then you're immediately thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to get military people saying, oh, why is the military always the bad guy? And so we have to have, you know, for every military person who does something bad, mm -hmm. you know, and because you know, it's postulated that that uh, really the, the group of people opposing the president are the military industrial complex. Um, which is a term that Dwight Eisenhower coined as sort of saying, well, if we remove the, the troops there, then we're going to stop pouring all this money into businesses and into the, uh, the military and we can't have that. So we just want to have a state of perpetual warfare so that we can continue to, to profit by that. And so, uh, you know, if you're going to insulate yourself from charges of, Oh, you know, the military is evil or the military right. industrial complex is evil. Well, we've got to have a high, you know, got to sprinkle in a couple of high-profile incidents of the military acting nobly, even if that's not really how an Air Force pilot in that situation would really well, act. So you could say, yeah. no, see, the militaries are the heroes. They're the ones that, 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 that questioned orders or refused to follow orders, even though there was nothing in that order that was immoral or right. unconstitutional that an actual officer would really... And you get the same thing on a political ideology, right? Where it's it's like, well, okay, the president appears to be an Obama clone and is going to be democratic, and you know the secretary of state appears to be pro-military and is therefore Republican. So we got to make a big deal out of there's a Fox News figure who is very anti-president right. broadcasting from the White House, um, and you know, who gets mocked by one of the right-wing nuts who takes over the White House, but who stands up to the right-wing nut and says, if you're going to hurt a child, then you're going to have to kill me. You know, you're going to have to we kill me. We also get the, you know, in terms of the military-industrial complex, as long as it's a faceless group, right, it's evil. Right. But then we get these individuals, we get the, the pilot, we also get the um, the Maggie Gyllenhaal character who had asked some, but some guy she had kind of flirted with to get him to do a, a database search that mm -hmm. he wasn't supposed to be doing. Right. But, he, you know, 
she convinces him, and then this is what gives us the paper trail to find out who the real bad guy is. The head of the National Guard is, you know, portrayed as being very yeah, we get these, uh, useful. useful. So we get these individuals mm-hmm. in the military that are intelligent, um, courageous, you know, doing these good things. So, so that, yeah, when, when there's a faceless military-industrial complex, that's evil. We get these individuals, though, they're good. So, right. Um, and, you know, that, that's sort of... Well, and I'll, I'll point out, too, that the Secretary of State feels like he has to kill the Secretary of Defense and the Undersecretary of Defense, right? you know, in order for secession to work. So it's not just like, oh, if, if, if everyone in the military were evil, then, you know, I could just do a plot until that cabinet member would naturally be on my side but there's that that so there's that sense in which when we need someone to be a villain oh they're tied into the military industrial complex plex. um but when we need someone to be noble or when we want to inoculate ourselves against charges of prejudice mm-hmm. or stereotype it would be like well look he's in the military and he's he's noble so you see all this stuff going on so i guess before the, we move on can okay. i just say one other thing about the military is i mentioned this in my review Christianity today, but it really bothered me. Okay. Um, there's a scene about halfway through where it looks like there is a member of the military or the National Guard or someone that uh, they've, they've taken tanks to the White House and they're told don't attack because right. they are whatever. Uh, our t- the hero, the president and the hero are running around in a car doing donuts in the White House lawn trying to get out and there are people firing at them. One nameless, faceless soldier who we don't get anything else in the film is told, okay, give them cover. And so he fires a mortar shell from his tank right. at the White House to give them cover and pretty much gets incinerated in his tank for his trouble. They, they fire a surface-to-air missile, blows up his tank, the tank erupts in flames, and you know we can only assume he died a horrific death. And... I found that scene, knowing the number of people in the military, I found that scene to be so uh, uh, offensive from a film that postulates the military as a whole or the military-industrial conflict as being the source of, you know, of of all, you know, all trouble or, or all danger because... He's one of the few good guys, yes. this nameless soldier, that we actually see die. Yeah. And, you know, that's another objection that I have to these action genre films is they have to have these triumphal endings. Oh, we've, we've, we've avoided the nuclear countdown. Mm-hmm. We've, we've killed the bad guy before he could press the button. We've reestablished, you know, our heroism in the eyes of our daughter. Well, let's not think about, you know, the hundreds of people who died somewhat horrifically mm-hmm. that we couldn't save and have a somber moment. Let's just play the music and the president says, let's do that thing where we fly around in the helicopter and, and so that I can impress your daughter. And, and I get that it's a movie and you want to have a feel good ending. Uh, but there's just something to me that's offensive. And, and I'm going to, since we're the thin place, I'm even going to say unchristian about the way that tangential characters are portrayed as being immaterial. Mm -hmm. Who cares if a bunch of people died? None of the important people died. 
Now, the Christian theologian Francis Schaeffer, you know, he wrote a book called No Little People that was ostensibly about one of the hallmarks of Christianity is that all of us, regardless of our station in life, whether we're the president or a police officer or a nameless national guardman, are important to someone, right. are important to God. And the way that the film wants, you know, wants the threat to the important people is put down, just sort of starts cheerily talking about order being restored without really even so much as a, a backwards glance at the people who died. Well, I, I, I find it to be very morally yeah. troubling. And, well, and, and actually your, your point here does exactly, I, I was going to kind of move okay, back good. into the... So I'm, sorry to monologue, no, 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 no. but it's just, it, it got on my goat. And, well, and I think that's that right there, because I think in your Christianity Today, Ken wrote a review for Christianity Today of this film, um, you also mentioned the fact that in the, like, the seconds after that explosion, we get to a comedy bit. I mean, there's a yeah. joke. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not just that. This would be a really good time to, to insert some comic relief about right. the president finding a rocket launcher in the back of the car, and he's trying to point it out the window, and it hits Chatham yeah. in the back of the head while he's trying to drive using the TV monitors because the bulletproof glass has been and, shattered. And, 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 you know, I, I think in this particular it, film... Very toned that. Um... And, and, and it's a, it's a tough job. I mean, you've got Jamie Foxx in one of the lead roles, so you know, you know, there, there's there's going to be some humor. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, where that humor, you know, that mixture of killing people in these various violent ways, um, and then some of this very lighthearted humor is that's a difficult line to walk. I mean, there are plenty of films that do it. Mm-hmm. And, and there are places in this film that it's fine that does it more successfully. Yeah. There's 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 a meat tour guide who, in one or two scenes, tries to confront the bad guys about like, listen, I know you got a terrorist thing going on here, but you know there's some priceless historical areas. Right. Can we can we be a little careful about? And um, there's a nice little bit that I appreciated about the president losing his shoes at at yeah. one point. And then getting back to, um, he gets back to his closet. He gets back to his closet and rather than pull down dress shoes, pulls down tennis shoes. And that's a nice little tweak of the action genre since I just saw the heat this weekend. Also, of female action heroes running around in stiletto heels. Like, right. like who does that? Or, so the film does have some appropriate and fun, yeah, funny bits, but I think you're absolutely right in this particular case with the scene with the tank commander who is is killed, mm-hmm. is to go immediately to the joke. You know, there, there's something there about it. And it's more than just a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think the question we need to start thinking about is, yeah, I mean, from a, you know, so we have this genre picture who's it's hitting all of these marks in a typical genre picture. What is the spiritual? Well, any joke can misfire. Right. Right, and so I think the the question to ask then is, why did the joke misfire? Which forces you to ask, you know, why did the person think it was funny to begin with? You know, where we all have things that strike us as right. funny, don't strike someone else as funny, or uh, what was it that they didn't understand or thought differently 
about it, you know, and for me, why it misfired, it, it's tracing back to this root of, well, unless this is a named character played by a named actor, his suffering and death is something that should give us no pause or yeah. no attention. And for a film that is supposed, you know, that puts itself out there saying we are going to value sacrifice, you know, part of where this falls flat is this guy just sacrificed and the film doesn't seem to have the wherewithal to acknowledge that. Yeah, it's well, and it's also. Because we've you know, we got to get to the next laugh. I, I don't want to invoke a movie that's coming up that I've only read the book, but I, but I think about Ender's Game too. It's, it, it's also wrong in the sense that. White House Down is, in the sense that it treats war or death as a zero-sum game. Mm -hmm. As long as you haven't died, you have won, and the other person has lost, and so therefore you have been spared the costs or the consequences. And I think one of the things that Orson Scott Carr does so well in Ender's Game is saying, there's a cost to winning. There's a psychological cost. There is you know, certainly a property damage cost, right. you know, uh, cost. Uh, there's a fear cost. There's an emotional cost. There's, you know, uh, and none of those things are present in the action genre anymore, which goes back to that, you know, my feeling like this isn't even tenuously tied to real life, that these aren't real people. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first axiom, again, going way back to the 80s about the action genre, or the horror genre, or you know, the studying genres. It's hard to care what happens to a person if you don't care about the person that it's happening to. Right. And White House Down cares so very little about anyone except Channing Tatum, his daughter, and the president. That I'm like, okay, we don't care what happens to anyone else, and it's hard for me to care about what happens to anyone else when the world that you're giving me is a one where no one else is important except for these these three people. And I know in your Christianity Today review, you mentioned Die Hard um, a bit. And I think, yeah, that's another interesting case um, of, of, this, of this kind of genre picture um, that might do a better job, might not do a perfect job, but does a better job. Right. One of my claims in, in that piece was that I, I saw a movement in the late 1980s away from the invincible Superman hero. Yes. uh, The Rambo, the original Superman or something like that to say, we want heroes that are human beings who bleed, who are vulnerable. Perhaps the, the hallmark uh, moment to me in the first movie review I ever wrote for the Stephen newspaper, the bullet at Mary Washington college of, James Cameron's Aliens was a scene in which uh, Ellen Ripley is locked in a room with Newt, and there's one of the little alien facehuggers crawling around, and Newt says, Ripley, I'm scared. And, and Ripley's answer was, so am I. Yeah. And that's just not something that you were used to hearing a an action hero say. Right. Uh, and yet that made the film so much more... engrossing uh and i think we had heroes like john mcclain who you know when he walked on broken glass he, you know winced and we felt every shard and right. said how is he going to survive like the 
uh, Sarah Connor in the original Terminator as opposed to Terminator 2, right. who uh, was not the buffed up Rambo superheroine, but was uh, a waitress who was uh, confused and who asked Kyle Reese, can you stop it? And he said, with these weapons, I, I don't know. Right. You know, and we didn't know either. You know, we, I don't see how that's going to happen. And I think that this is actually relates to something that I said about comedy, um, in my review of the heat, which was that it's so much easier nowadays to write situations rather than full fledged scripts. You know, it's hard to write that movie with 12 distinct characters so that you feel it each time one of them survives, you know, one of them dies right. or one of them survives. And the, the lazy shorthand for that is going to be that we keep upping the cost as though somehow or another it's no longer a thousand people that blow up in a building or a hundred people blow up in a plane. Is That's not a big enough catastrophe for the hero to avert. It has to be... Uh, a million people in a nuclear bomb, or if it's Star Trek, an entire planet that has to be, right. be blown up or threatened, or I'm pretty sure an entire galaxy is is coming up, as though somehow or another a million faceless, you know, what's that famous quote about, you know, you kill one person, that's murder, you kill a million people, that's a statistic, or, or something yeah. like that. Well... I mean, I think we see the reverse in, in our action heroes is that we keep upping the potential death quote quotient as a way of saying our hero is more heroic because he has averted that. But we don't take the time to actually make any of those lives meaningful. And then it's just it's just a video game. It's just they're all lips. You know, you know, it's you, you understand conceptually in an abstract way the numbers. Well, you saved a hundred people instead of Ten people, you say eight billion people instead of a hundred people, but you know what? You didn't save one person, and that one person was somebody's everything. And they have some. It's not that the, in the in the story of the film, it's not that the tank commander shouldn't have gotten blown up or whatever, but treat it as though it were important. Well, or yeah, or. Or not make fun of it, at least. Treat it as though it's important. If you want me to buy into either this film as somehow representing our world and our values, or have the characters, Kale and Sawyer, treat it as important if you want me to esteem them as true heroes. Yes. I'm reminded of the, well, it's by now becoming a more famous David Mamet quote about the difference between art and mass entertainment. And is saying that mass entertainment is there to stroke us on the back and make us feel good and say, yes, yes, everything you believe is correct. Mm -hmm. America is the great country and there will always be, you know, no matter how strong, sophisticated the villains are, there will always be that lunch pail cop who is in just the right place that will foil everything even if and I, I guess what bothers me about a film like White House Down is like, like you said if, if you want me to buy into these values and that these people are heroes there are sort of things that need to take place that it doesn't do mm-hmm. so then I have to ask you know it's like okay if you're if this isn't an entertainment and you know that's fine entertainments I have no problem with entertainment 
But if that's going to be telling me, oh, yes, you're right, you're right, you're right, you know, what is it telling me is right? Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, we're exceptional, it's just, and, but it's also saying the little people don't matter. And I guess that, that, that bothers me. The development of the hero stopped at Achilles, and that you know that was that was it. That was it. So all right. So um, I certainly gave low rating, you know, overall thumbs down to, to to White House down. I'm I'm not sure if I ever got your. Oh, it's dreadful. Okay. <laughs> so so there you go. Now, which which sort of. Um, which sort of raises the question about our spoiler alert about why we told everyone to go see it before they listen to the podcast. But but there you are. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you've got comments about this episode or suggestions for us about a movie you'd like to hear us discuss on The Thin Place, uh, drop us a line at thethinplace at filmgeekradio.com. You can uh, find links on our website there to my review of White House Down at Christianity Today, Movies and TV. Uh, you can also find other reviews I've done at the number one, morefilmblog.com, or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com backslash Ken Morefield. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!